Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 39 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. In today's show, I'm bringing on special guest Wade Longmire. I can't trust the ball! Oh, I can't trust the ball! You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Welcome, everyone. We have a great show planned for today, so I'm really glad that you're with us. I'm bringing on Wade Longmire, and I had him on about two weeks ago, and I thought he was just a great guest. So he is back today. And how about that presidential debate last night? What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And may God have mercy on our souls, honestly. And that soundbite just kind of encompasses my general thoughts about last night. But for real, on today's show with Wade, we're going to talk Chiefs, Ravens, and then there's also that thrilling Thursday night football game between the Jets and Broncos. Womp, womp. And a little waiver wire action for week four. And the big story of the day, the Tennessee Titans and the impact for fantasy football and the strategy surrounding the latest COVID developments there. And we'll also get to Wade Longmire's long shot bets of the week. And that'll be a pretty fun segment, so I'm excited about that. Okay, let's bring on Wade Longmire. All right, good morning, Wade. I appreciate you coming on the show. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is because your team, the Tennessee Titans, are making headline news. Finally, the mainstream media, uh, they're actually getting the attention they finally deserve. Uh, you know, despite opening 3-0 and and appearing in the AFC Championship game last season. But now this attention is all, for all the wrong reasons. I know you know where I'm going with this. The Titans have given us our first COVID team breakout of the year. And it's three players, five personnel members tested positive yesterday. And from what I, from what I understand, the team has tested players three times since yesterday, including a couple of times today. And one player has tested positive today, so you can add him to the list, and, and which I guess is a good thing. And, and ESPN's uh, Deanna Rossini has just reported that the game will be postponed, but it's likely, according to Ian Rappaport, I guess they're combining reports there, it's likely it's going to be Monday or Tuesday. Uh, there are a lot of angles to take with this story, but I want to focus on the fantasy implications here. Uh, do you think that this game is going to be moved to Monday or Tuesday, or are you worried uh, that you, we won't have this game at all on the week four slate like the Titans-Steelers are just going to have like an early bye week. 
I think I will. First of all, Nick, thanks for having me on. It, it's great to be here, even if the circumstances are that my team are making history for all the wrong reasons. Uh, leave it to the Titans, right? We're truly living up to the movie title. Remember the Titans in this young season. Uh, I think I'm worried that the game's going to happen this week, Nick. That's my ultimate take. Because, you know, it says that we can't be back in the building until Saturday to practice. And Vrabel's been on local shows in Nashville this morning saying that he thinks we can get access to practice and back to our facilities sooner. But let's say we get back and running on Saturday. We're already down one of our captains. Daquan Jones' uh, D-tackle is one of the three confirmed cases Right? We don't have our long snapper, so we all don't have to be reminded what happened in week one with Goskowski. He's since become the best kicker in the league, no doubt. But we're now going to reset things on the special team side, and now we have another confirmed test. And, you know, it, you know, Lord help us if it's Henry or if it's Tannehill or Bayard or somebody important. But if we play Tuesday night football, which is the new Monday night football, everybody knows – I'm worried about how we look. You know, the practice pieces, some of the key players that we're missing just from a scheme standpoint. Vrabel's going to have to do a heck of a coaching job, given that our defense is what it is already. So I'm worried more than that. And my bigger take is that I'm, I think this is a contrarian take as a Titans fan, but I am impressed, right, that the league is moving forward, so to speak, in having the game on Monday or Tuesday. And I, I'm doing that. Because, you know, they just as easily could have flexed us, I think. You know, a lot of Titans Twitter would go into the depths and say, based on bye weeks, there's some semblance of the Ravens, Steelers, Titans, and Browns where you can flex some of these games and move bye weeks up. And to me, right, if I'm taking off the Titans blinders, that's dangerous precedent, right? Because this may not be the last outbreak we see in the league this year. And if they're going to jump through hoops and over hurdles to get the Titans Steelers fixed, um, you know, what are we going to do when that happens to the next team down the road? So maybe long answer, Nick, but I'm worried about us playing. But at the same time, I respect that, you know, the NFL is going to try to get it in, uh, which I do think in this season, you got to power through some of these scenarios. Yeah, I that's a great answer. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And you actually touched on a lot of them here. My opinion is that the NFL is going to do everything they can to keep the games going. And I will say this, though, because I actually want to touch on a point that you just hit. And I was going to kind of save it for maybe later in the conversation, but you came out storming with this point. You talked about the possibility of changing the schedule around uh, to kind of make this matchup work. And you gave the NFL credit. I do think the NFL deserves some credit for minimizing the impact so far. Uh, COVID really hasn't been an issue thus far. But I also think the NFL dropped the ball from a scheduling aspect because of this, because people you know, on Twitter, like you alluded to, are trying to configure the schedule. They're trying to move all these bye weeks around, postpone the game, and they'll say, okay, it can work if we do this, this, and this. And theoretically, it actually makes a little more sense than it usually would because normally there's like all these concert venues at stadiums. And theoretically, now during COVID, when there's not other events to compete with, or there's few other events, you could move stuff around in these stadiums, right? But it, it kind of made me think when I was reading all that online, and it made me think, why didn't the NFL just give – each team two bye weeks this year to better their chances of maybe, you know, fixing this kind of issue. But also then I was like, you know what, two bye weeks, we could still have the same problem. They might not have the same, but you might have to get other teams involved. And then it just made me think, why didn't they give, why didn't they just take a week off like in week 10 or something and just have no games played. And then like basically a second bye week for every team, but you use that week as a makeup week, for any games that, you know, this may happen to, or, or, or you could just wait after week 17, 
where like, you know, in between wildcard weekend, you know, right after the regular season ends, you have a, you have a makeup week for anything like that. I think that the NFL deserves credit for its crazy testing that it's done so far. And they've done a great job of uh, minimizing the impact here. But I, I really think they dropped the ball in terms of schedule making here. And they're just so married to the schedule. I was, I was kind of surprised like, when I thought of that. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, and I didn't think about it before the season. So I'm not going to just sit here and say they're all so dumb. But if you, it's your job to come up with this thing, you know, as kind of like a PR major, I'm like, wow, I don't know why they really didn't think of that. Well, we've seen it, you know, across college athletics, too. It seems, and I'm not giving college much more credit, they obviously delayed a lot of their major conference schedules and they eliminated the non-conference opponents so they could keep it all in-house. But it's going to be the same question if Auburn, you know, for example, in the SEC goes down and all of a sudden they're playing Georgia on Saturday night. They don't have that built-in wait period. They don't necessarily have the period at the end of the season to get it in before bowls and the college football playoff. So it kind of seems like everybody is – waiting and seeing, I think, from a general organizational standpoint. Which there's some wisdom in that. You don't know what you don't know, and it's hard to prepare for uh, the unavoidable. But you're right. It, it seems like the NFL could have been in front of this with, I love the idea of a midweek season. I was thinking more along the lines of weeks 18 through 20 as backups. I'm not right. sure what the heck we'd do in the fantasy world if the Titans-Steelers all of a sudden was one of two games, if the Vikings and Texans were also playing week 18. That's a good point. Maybe they wanted to preserve the fantasy aspect of it. I know the NFL is, I mean, they don't, they deny that they're really into fantasy football in years past, but they definitely are. I think the NFL is, is very money hungry. Like as we've seen over the years, they've shown that that money is their primary concern here. I would argue even over the player's safety. And I, I think that they've shown that in years past. And I think they're going to do everything they can to not, you know, massage the schedule and just keep it on Monday or Tuesday. I mean, I've heard a lot of Tuesday inklings here, and that would give the Titans players, like you were worried about, extra chances to – maybe they won't practice in person, but extra Zoom days, I guess, extra days of prep. Uh, it also, from a fantasy perspective, and I want to get into this now, um, it also gives Deontay Johnson and A.J. Brown, the two wide receivers, Deontay Johnson in the concussion protocol – he is an extra day or two to prepare now. And A.J. Brown, who I don't know what the status of this game is. I figured he was going to miss last week because it was a, a winnable game, although the Titans have shown they can make every game close here. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Stephen Goskowski. I knew you were going to bring him up at some point. But, uh, but yeah, A.J. Brown, Deontay Johnson, what are your other fantasy implications uh, for this? Yeah, well, just because I'm more in the weeds on those injury reports, the, the Titans do have a couple of key injuries that it would be big if we can get them back or get them healthier for like a Tuesday night football game. So I think of Adoree Jackson, right, who folks might not know, but he's our cornerback and arguably our CB1, especially when you look at advanced metrics. He hasn't played all year. He's been on IR. He's eligible to return <clears throat> right now. And they haven't said what we're going to do there. But obviously, he's a big factor when you think about the Steelers' passing game, especially when you think of Deontay um, and you know, Juju, even though Adoree wouldn't follow him into the slot. But that's a person we need and would have fantasy implications you know, on both sides of the ball. Similarly, you look at Lawan, Taylor Lawan, who went down our left tackle last week. His status is a little bit more unclear. It seems based on MRI, he's avoided major injury. He's a key piece you know, for our run game. And obviously, there's a lot of folks counting on Derrick Henry uh, in a fantasy sense. So uh, the delay would help us in that regard. Uh, and I think just overall AJ's injury, we've all become experts on bone bruises in the Nashville area because it's crazy to think that this beast of an athlete is suffering from what many of us might think off the cuff doesn't sound that serious. Oh, uh, it's pretty serious. Yeah, it can be very serious, right? Yeah. 
it's not just a regular bruise. I don't want anyone listening thinking that a, a bone bruise is the same as a, I mean, this is a deep thing here. I mean, it's, it's pretty serious. And from a fantasy perspective, I think you're right. I love the point about Taylor Lewan. I actually forgot he exited. I wrote that in my game notes and then just totally forgot. And Dory Jackson, I knew he was coming back as well. That has to do with, that makes Juju's matchup a little worse. Deontay Johnson, if he can play. I don't know if A.J. Brown is going to play. Um, I think they might wait one more week. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. But Derrick Henry, James Conner. I mean, look on the Steelers side of this. You know, I have a lot of James Conner on my teams. Johnny Smith, kind of a breakout player here for Tennessee so far. And we don't really know at this point whether Johnny's breakout is A.J. Brown missing time related or if it's, you know, if he's going to be the real thing. I, I think he's here to stay. But, uh, but I think from a fantasy perspective, you have to prepare, you know, if you're listening out there, that these guys are not going to play. Like, I think it's one of the scenarios where you should be looking at this from the worst case. You should be preparing that your Titans, that your Steelers are going to be out this week. And, and, you know, start, you know, who's going to be in your starting lineup and gear up for those possible replacements if they're, if they're out. And this, to me, this is a prepare for the worst and hope for the best situation. And I think the hammer is going to come down even more on this, Nick, right? We obviously had one more Titans confirmed positive this morning. We don't know who that is, but as we talked about, that could be somebody very fantasy relevant. And then we have the Vikings. The Vikings had 48 people, right, who the NFL identified as close contact with some of the Titans' positive cases. Thankfully, no negative tests this morning in Minnesota. But we, we know, I think, just general at this point, that the incubation period from COVID can last anywhere from one to two days where they'd show up now or right. as long as six to seven. So I think everybody is worried, right, that a test – round on Thursday or Friday, we're going to see these numbers jump up for both squads. So we have to wait and see. Nick, I mean, I'm a Titans fan. If, if I had one of those Titans on my team, I would very much be looking at my bench options just because it's such a wild card if we're going to play and what we're going to look like on Tuesday night. Yeah, and you may have been looking for that anyway, honestly, because the tight uh, it is a tough matchup, right? So you're going to be starting Derrick Henry either way, although there no running back I guess Melvin Gordon had a little success against the Steelers, but that was on reception. We're not get, seeing many of that with Derrick Henry. But no running back has had running success on the Steelers, but you're starting him anyway. But these other guys like Ryan Tannehill, who's kind of a fringe starter in 12-team leagues for one quarterback leagues, and Johnny Smith, I, I, should, I should probably say the same as him for tight ends. I think a lot of people were looking at this matchup anyway and seeing the Steelers even before this came out and saying, oh, maybe I should look at my bench options there. I wanted to definitely mention one more thing about this. And you keep talking about, we don't know who that other player is. I think, first of all, it's pretty concerning that the Titans haven't revealed who it is. Because I think more likely, if it was kind of a lesser known player, they probably have already would have said it. And that kind of makes me a little precautious. The other thing that makes me really nervous is this. And I know you are a diehard fan, so you probably know that the Titans added uh, Deonta Foreman today. The running back, the ex-Texans running back. And that's not really fantasy relevant. But a lot of times when these players come up from the practice squad or they add a player, it means that they need an extra body at running back. And now I'm just kind of, maybe I'm panicking here. Maybe I shouldn't be connecting the dots, but maybe Derek Henry is that guy who has, is the positive test. It's a smoke fire argument, Nick, but I, I hear you. That's the fear in every Titans fan's mind. It's like, why does, why now? Why Deonta Foreman? Right, you can point to our lack of depth and Darrington yeah. Evans had some injury trouble, so maybe that's the logical conclusion. But we haven't added anybody else, right? So uh, that's the thought. And, and actually, you mentioned that one other thought on practice squad additions. The Titans added a corner 
last week, beginning of the week, and I can't even remember the guy's name, but he tested positive for COVID after being on the team for like two days. Wow. You can follow the breadcrumbs that like one of our defensive coaches didn't make the trip to Minneapolis. And then all of a sudden we have eight folks, you know, five staffers, three players. So it's, to me, I, I'm not sure what happened at each of those decision points along the way. You know, as a Titans fan, I want to say that you can do all the right things and this kind of outbreak could still happen to everybody. But it, it's wild to see how quick that can happen and turn over, you know, an individual team. Yeah, actually, and that makes me – I didn't know that, and that makes me immediately jump to the assumption that the player who added was – he's a free agent, so he's not getting tested every day. And I don't want to blame it all on this, you know, free agent cornerback. I don't really know. But, but I will say that if he's the one not getting tested every day and he comes off from off the street, it's possible that he had it for sure. I know that, um, I know that Earl Thomas has his – he was supposed to be – interviewing and working out with the Texans and potentially signing there. And that's been now put off because right. of this. And maybe the Texans have heard that, uh, that this new Titans player, that this is what happened. A free agent came in and got some of the team sick potentially. And maybe the Texans are like, Oh no, we're not, you know, Earl, maybe we should uh, wait on this. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, let's, yeah. Crazy story here. And I think, I think we both agree that it'll probably be on Monday or Tuesday. I think it'll be on Tuesday. But we do need to prepare for this game being postponed or some crazy uh, ripple effect there. Ravens, Chiefs, Super Bowl champions beat up on Baltimore 34-20. I like to recap every game here. Didn't have the podcast episode yesterday. Uh, What were your key fantasy takeaways here, Wade? Yeah, first of all, Vegas was giving away free money on this game. It was Kansas City plus three, right? And obviously the narrative going into it was that Lamar was going to show us all he's a real quarterback. And look, I believe in it. I'm not here to knock Lamar Jackson, but he did not have a good night. And that line was totally predicated on the Ravens' defense absolutely slowing down uh, Mahomes, right, and the Chiefs. I think we saw Andy Reid call a masterful game plan with how they spread their speedsters out wide and just carved up the middle with underneath routes to fullbacks, tight ends, running backs, folks we had never heard of, even a a tackle, right, in the red zone. So an incredible game to watch. And obviously the Ravens did come back and and make it a game. Fantasy takeaways, uh, maybe starting on the Baltimore side of the ball, right? I was one of many who started Hollywood thinking that this is a monster breakout performance for him. In in my read, he had the targets. He's going to have the deep targets in every game, especially when they have to score. But again, he's going to go as far as Lamar can get it to him in an accuracy standpoint. There's a lot more risk with Marquise Brown, perhaps, than I or others saw early on, because Lamar has not shown, to me, a remarkable improvement in downfield passing. Uh, Mark Andrews gets a lot more of the valuable targets, right? He seems to be the go-to, obviously. He had an off game. I don't read into more than that. Obviously, he had a lot of good targets. He dropped what would have been a key third and 10, I think it was, down the seam. And he dropped that key end zone pass, which was one of Lamar's best throws of the nights. So pass catcher-wise, you know, Mark Andrews, I'm willing to write it off as a bad night. Great targets. I know he's one of your guys, so I want to hear your take. Marquise, I really need to see some more from Lamar Jackson before I, I feel good about rolling him out in matchups. So he's almost in a more of an earn it for me spot, uh, given how he played. So that's what's your take on the Baltimore pass catchers? That was definitely the storyline. Actually, I mean, all of Baltimore was really the storyline for sure of this game because we knew the Chiefs were really that great. Um, to me, Marquise Brown was he was missed on those two passes. Okay, and going into this game. I had the same mindset as you did. The Ravens had not trailed on a single snap so going into this game, before this game. So 
Marquise Brown, he had a good week in week one, despite the Ravens killing the Browns. And in week two, he was barely utilized because he just wasn't needed. And that's going to happen sometimes with the Ravens. That happened a lot last year with the Ravens when they just blew out these teams. So going into this game, I'm thinking, okay, well, this game, they're going to have to throw, right? Like Marquise Brown's going to get the volume. But he was totally shut down in the first half. He had a short drop where he was hit. And then in the second half, there was two deep shots. One was a little overthrown I thought it, it was on the left sideline and then one was on the right sideline where it was just a, a that was an egregious pass by Lamar Jackson the one where he had a few steps on the defender late in the game was in the fourth quarter he was up two or three steps on the defender and that should have been probably about a 40-yard touchdown Lamar Jackson usually hits that throw and he just did not he was just totally off uh, and then the other one I thought that Brown this was could have been a longer play the other one, I thought that Brown kind of mistracked the ball a little bit. And I think this was in the third quarter, I believe. Uh, that could have been like a 50-yard play. But Brown just kind of either lost it in the lights or it was maybe a little bit overthrown. It was tough to really kind of say there. I thought Brown kind of let up just a little bit. But, but the, the egregious play was the Jackson missing him late in the game. That could have just changed his whole line, of course, and got the Ravens back in the game. As far as Andrews goes, I, I attribute that last year – Last year, Mark Andrews had one game. It was against the Seattle Seahawks, and it was a primetime game. And it just made me think of that game. It was raining, and Andrews just looked like the worst player on the field. He had three drops in that game. And this was that game for Mark Andrews. And it's just such a shame because uh, that pass you were referring to down the scene, that was like a 30-yard pass. That wasn't just, you know, a regular seam route. It was between two defenders, and it was a contested catch, but that's a catch Andrews should have made. And then he dropped a touchdown. So those two plays alone, and even the two plays from Marquise Brown, you're looking at a totally different outcome. But the Ravens were just off. Lamar Jackson, that's obviously the story. He's struggled when he's been trailing. He had a couple of passes that were dropped that, weren't, that, that didn't help, obviously, but he looked rattled in this game. And in the Ravens running game, I mean, we can just move on to the Chiefs after this because this is just not good. Three-way, running back by committee, Mark Ingram, seven carries, 30 yards. Uh, J.K. Dalvin's one rush. He's had three carries over the last three weeks. And Gus Edwards has been pretty heavily involved. But I am, um, for Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, look, it, it's a de definite disappointment. I'm really high on both of those guys. Uh, to me, it's, it's more of, you know, you got to be patient. I'm still going to be having them in my starting lineups, no doubt. Uh, but, but going forward, it's just they almost look more like boomer bust plays each week rather than the reliable starts that I thought they were going to and the last thought on those Ravens running backs, I agree. It's, it, I mean, they're flexes right now, right? The good news is that they I all guess. look good or they all flash. The bad news is they all look good or they all flash, right? <laughs> In this yeah. scheme, running backs get opportunities, and, and Harbaugh obviously is committed to giving them each opportunities. So even Gus Edwards looked good in the reps that he got. If you combine them all, obviously, RB1 all day long. But that's not the, the layout that we have. So for now, I don't think you can trust them individually any given week. Yeah, and for the Chiefs, you know, Patrick Mahomes was obviously sensational. You don't need our real, you know, groundbreaking analysis on that. I thought that, you know, the Ravens just tried to blitz them a lot. They tried a new strategy. It did not work out. I mean, they failed uh, miserably in that. And then I just thought the Chiefs were just so good at the line of scrimmage. I thought that every time the Ravens blitzed, they were picking up these blitzers. I mean, Mahomes had a couple of times where he was rushed. He had a rushing touchdown, 26 yards, but four passing touchdowns, 380 five passing yards in his touchdowns like you said one went to tackle Eric Fisher on a trick play there was another trick play near the goal line where where a uh, fullback uh, scored a touchdown on a trick play where they got him involved 
And then Tyreek Hill, that pass was a thing of beauty, you know, beautifully placing this ball over the defender's head, over the top of the defense. And then another, you know, stereotypical, you know, prime Patrick Mahomes throw to McCole Hardman, 49-yard touchdown when he was kind of fading away or, or off his back foot at the very minimum, uh, evading a defender. And I, wa- I want to talk about Clyde Edwards-Elair first before you kind of hit Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey here. Edwards-Elair, you know, 20 carries, 64 rushing yards, not very efficient on the ground, but six targets, five catches, 70 receiving yards. And I want to talk about him specifically because, you know, the touchdowns haven't been there for Clyde. And I think that he's somewhat of a buy low if people didn't really watch this game. It was kind of a tough matchup on the ground. But I love his usage in the receiving game. And I wanted to mention Edwards Hilaire specifically because, you know, on this show, I'm all about talking about context of the game. Like, what's beyond the stats here? And there was this one screenplay in this game where Calais, Calais Campbell had an incredible uh, athletic tipped pass on this screen. And when they showed the replay of it, you know, from the other angle, the Fresh Prince had just at least 30 yards of probably open. Everybody, it was three blockers on three defenders. They're all perfectly blocked. And I think he probably would have eclipsed 100 receiving yards in this game. And that was the one incompletion in the passing game. So Edwards Elaire, I think that he is probably a top six fantasy option for sure. And he's kind of a little bit of a buy low now after two slow weeks against two really good defenses. Uh, what were your thoughts on Edwards Elaire? And what were your thoughts on Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey? Look, I know the CEH owner in my league, it's definitely a buy low opportunity. And I think he might be listening even to this show, but he knows it, right? He's watched week one when we all thought CEH was maybe the best running back to own. He got 25 carries. He gets all the goal line looks. He's in the Chiefs high-powered offense. Weeks two and three, I think the, the pessimistic spin to what you said is you see his per-game rate – right, or his per snap kind of play rate, and he's averaging a low yards per carry. He's getting a lot of these carries, and when they get up, right, and, and the defense knows that they're running, and he slams into the line of scrimmage, he's an incredible athlete, and he makes plays like last night when he had that over-the-shoulder catch from Mahomes 15, 20 yards down the field, where he's going to pop like that. I think he's still finding his rhythm to where he can be that consistent in-between running the tackles first through fourth quarter. So, you know, I'm not going to be one of the buy-low candidates in my league, but I think those owners are feeling it. So I yeah. agree with you. He was also used in the red zone, which is good. He was used there, like, you know, he's, he's in the game. They're not putting Daryl Williams in there. Uh, and, and when they put in Darwin Thompson, you know, he, he had one good run and then he fumbled, you know, and then he's out the game. And then Daryl Williams has just looked like a plotter all year. He's kind of dealing with that ankle issue. I think he's better than the way he looks, but – it just seemed they're using him in the red zone, but in this particular game, it was just Patrick Mahomes' night, and they just had the two trick plays to the offensive lineman and the fullback. I would say a little fluky, but Andy Reid does like to do that kind of stuff. But I think the touchdowns will come for Edwards there. What about Hill and Kelsey? Yeah, so the Kelsey truthers are getting what they paid for, right? Mm-hmm. I am among that camp, but I just pulled up in my league. We're half point PPR, otherwise, pretty standard scoring metrics. Top five tight ends, right? I'm sure your listeners know, but Travis Kelsey, number one. Two, Jonu Smith. Three, Tyler Higby. Four, Noah Fant. Five, Mike Gesicki. Okay, if you had that trifecta at the start nice. of the season, you'd be a rich man. Because I, I think everybody was looking off course for Kittle. He's had the injury slows at the start of the season. Andrews had a terrible game, you know, two nights ago. Uh, Ertz been down. Ingram been down. Some of the other guys. So it's Kelsey has remained the model of consistency at the tight end position. This was his worst game of the season, right, in a night where he had, what, seven catches for just over 70 yards? Yeah, um, 87 receiving yards uh, on six catches for Kelsey. And, yeah, that was a bad night for him. 
Uh, yeah, the tight end one for the last five straight se- – sorry, four straight seasons, and it's looking like, based on the competition you've just said at the, uh, at the tight end position, it's looking like he's going to finish number one. And I definitely regret, you know, having Kittle over Kelsey there. Uh, who's to say what would happen if they were healthy? I think Kittle was going to have a monster year. But, but now, you know, I don't know how healthy he's going to be when he comes back. So, yeah, Kelsey just looking great. And then Tyreek Hill, too, five catches. 77 yards and a score and he scored in three straight games to open the year which it doesn't match you know what you think of him people think you draft Tyreek Hill and you get the boomer bust right he's Marquise Brown on steroids I'm going to get some games where he wins me my week and other nights he's going to go quiet to his credit right he's developed his route tree more and more to where he's not just a deep threat they're hitting him on screams he had that one deep post that he turned up field and took to the house or at least down to the five-yard line. So, I mean, I don't think there's much more that needs to be said. Kelsey and Hill are top three, top two positions or options at their own positions. And last night, we're going to see about the peak of their performances uh, in, a, in a shootout like that. So, fun to watch those guys. Right. And, and speaking to the buy-low situation, I'm looking at the NFL schedule here. Uh, for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he actually has New England Patriots up next on the docket. So, I think that – uh, a roster manager of Edward Hilaire, if they're looking to buy low and they are upset about the last two games, then uh, yeah, they see New England on the cusp and maybe they want to make that move. But again, you're going to have to offer a lot. They're not just going to give them out for free. You might have to offer maybe a, a Derrick Henry or a, a Dalvin Cook to get him. What do you think, Nick, as you look at rookie running backs, right? Jimmy Robinson is the sensation right now, just with the amount of work he's getting in Jacksonville out of the backfield. He's had some favorable matchups, but let me, I'll cite it to you. You just said that CEH has the Patriots coming up next, right? Jimmy Robinson gets the Bengals this week, and then he plays the Texans and the Lions, right? Nothing fierce. You know, the next stretch of the season, three, four games, you taking CEH or James Robinson? Uh, for the rest of the season or just the three games? Well, I, I guess for the rest of the season, but give me a, who would you rather have right now on your team? Uh, I definitely rather have the Fresh Prince, honestly, not uh, not James. Although I think James Robinson's for real. I think he's getting the usage, uh, but I'm going to take uh, Edwards Elaire because I just think that the touchdowns, when they come, it's just going to be a total print fest there. Uh, Listen, when- it's, it's a pressure test. I think everything about that bet would be like, that's crazy. You're taking CEH. Let's just see how it plays out, right? James is set up yeah. with a nice schedule stretch right here. He's I think getting he's an every week start for sure. Robinson, like a lot of people are calling him an RB two now and thinking that, thinking that they're making groundbreaking analysis here. No, I think he's actually close to RB one. I, I really do. I think he's close to a top ten, top twelve play every week, almost regardless of opponent. If he's going to be more involved in the passing game, like he has been the last two games. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I. James Robinson's definitely looking like a league winner so far this year, early in the year. Uh, but I just don't – I don't know if I trust the Jaguars nearly – or I know I don't trust the Jaguars nearly as much as I do the Chiefs. That's um, fair. But let's – speaking of waiver wire additions that James Robinson is, let's, let's talk about some waiver wire action this week. There wasn't a lot of it. Uh, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, uh, Rex Burkhead, maybe Carlos Hyde. Uh, what happened in your league of record? Because I think your league record is a very good kind of sample – of, of what a lot of my listeners are, are dealing with here. Uh, what did free agency look like? Have you had your waivers yet, or is that the process on Thursday morning? So we process – I can give you a live update here. We process in five minutes. Wow. Uh, we actually have okay. them on Wednesday during the, the daylight hour so people can watch it come in. Um, so first let me reflect on what happened last week, right? We had most uh, – what most called one of the most impactful waiver weeks – uh, in fantasy memory, just given all the injuries. So we, like most folks, our top three were in no particular order, Jarek McKinnon, uh, Daryl Henderson, 
Um, and Daryl, of course, looks like the winner of that kind of pool. Uh, and then Mike Davis being the third. He also looks good, but we know that's a temporary solution. And if he's not catching seven passes, um, we'll see how he does in other game fairs. But Daryl, I think, is the one I want to mention just as I did not believe in him. Um, but even in negative game scripts or against a tough defense, he had, what, over 100 yards and a touchdown? And it doesn't look like Cam Akers is coming back soon. I know Brown will be back at full force quicker than that. But I know the Rams want to commit to a committee, uh, Nick, but Daryl is taking advantage of the opportunity, and that's exciting to see. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the only reason I didn't focus on him more was because in most 12-team leagues, I think that he was already added or at least not dropped. I know that Henderson was not available in any of the seven uh, leagues that I, I play in, so that was just uh, unfortunate there. Maybe it was one, but I'm not, I don't really think so. But either way, yeah, Henderson's looking like an awesome pickup, and I actually – I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, I'm kicking myself, Wade, because I actually drafted Henderson in only one league, and it was like round 12, and it was when he already had that hamster or that issue in training camp, and then I cut him before the season even started. Uh, I didn't even know not to add James Robinson, so it just didn't work out there, and then somebody else grabbed him, obviously, after uh, week one, so it's just a shame. I wish that James Robinson and uh, Daryl Henderson were on my teams. Yeah. But bumping to this week, I think it is about the young receivers, right? I'm looking at our wire right now. Jefferson and Higgins are at the top. And then Ayuk is actually available in our league, which I'm sure isn't the case at many, right? Probably not your league. No, it's about half and half in my leagues, actually, with Ayuk, yeah. Looking at those three, right? I'm not sure how you would rank them, but we obviously saw Higgins and Jefferson absolutely blow up. I am going to downgrade Jefferson a bit because, listen, the Titans' defense is not what it is right now. We've already talked about Adoree Jackson. He had a great game, but I'm not sure I'm taking him above the, those others. I think I would personally rank them Ayuk one, Higgins two, and then uh, Jefferson three. And I, I'm really? banking on the offenses. I'm banking on what those game flow looks like. I'm really excited about Ayuk, especially he's getting the Debo Samuel role right now. But that might be controversial. How do you see him? I am glad I have you on today. I actually have the exact opposite ranking as that. So that's no, that's good. I, I we want different opinions here. Uh, look, I actually I really like Brandon Ayuk uh, from a talent perspective, and even going into the dra NFL draft, you know I'm a big NFL draft guy. Uh, I saw uh, Ayuk better than T Higgins, but to me, I actually think Justin Jefferson. And I, you make a great point that the Titans matchup was just ideal for him last week, missing the top two corners and the Titans defense, you know, looks good on paper, but they haven't really played well this year no. in reality. And as you know, and, and Justin Jefferson on the, on, on the surface, he's going to run first team. Kirk Cousins is quarterback and he's the number clear number two receiver behind Thielen, who sh theoretically should be a target hawk. But I kind of am treating this as more of a, you know, obviously it's an eye opening game. I'm kind of treating this as more of a situation where the Vikings are in a situation where they have so many injuries on defense that they're not going to be able to really run the ball and play defense this year. And I think that Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, you know, their other option is at receivers or pass catchers in general, Kyle Rudolph, you know, Earth Smith hasn't done anything this year. Rudolph had the nice one-handed touchdown, but that's the only play he's made this year. And then BC Johnson, Tajay Sharp, as you know well about him. So I mean, there's no other option. So I actually think Justin Jefferson is going to be a, a stay. I think he's going to be a hold. I'm, I'm okay with bidding a good percentage of fab on Justin Jefferson in a PPR format. Cause I just think the Vikings have no other options other than Jefferson and Thielen. And, you know, they got Dalvin cook, but their defense is going to be forcing them to throw. 
Higgins would probably be second for me because Higgins, you know, he's the future of the Bengals. Betting on Higgins is basically a bet against A.J. Green. Agreed. I think that's a safe bet right now. But just because you bet Higgins to be the future and just because you bet Higgins may be even more effective than Green right now as he looked in the last two weeks, that doesn't mean that A.J. Green is just going to go away. And that's my hesitation with Green and that's why – I mean with Higgins and that's why I have Justin Jefferson first is that Jefferson's going to immediately start out – or not start, but he's immediately going to take over that starting role and be the number two receiver. Whereas T. Higgins – you know, he may look better than A.J. Green, but I just don't know if the Bengals are going to just, you know, sell out and just say, hey, you know, we're playing for the future now. Higgins is now our number one receiver. They also have Tyler Boyd there. It's rookie quarterback. I know they're going to be throwing a lot. I, Higgins my second, and Ayuk is just my third only because even though I like his talent, I like his game, Debo Samuel, we're not really sure when he's going to come back. Right. But the 49ers, to me, you mentioned that, you know, Justin Jefferson was in a perfect storm of a situation. That's kind of how I saw the Ayuk situation where you you don't have Raheem Mostert, you don't have Debo Samuel, you don't have George Kittle. So you're missing these three key players in the offense. And I don't know, I do believe in Nick Mullins is probably just as good as Jimmy G for what it's worth. But I don't know. To me, Ayuk's third on the list. That's fair. Uh, let me ask you this, Nick. In terms of tiers of rookie wide receivers, these three guys – and it's probably unfair just because you'll probably take some out of them or what have you, but Judy and Ruggs, you think those two are above or below this class that's being looked at on the waiver wire? Hey, that's a great question. I love that question because a lot of people may be considering cutting Ruggs yeah. for one of these guys. Ruggs has already been ruled. He's either already been ruled out or doubtful for this next week. So he's really tough to trust uh, going forward. If, if you have an IR spot, great. But right now I would prefer, I don't think I would prefer Ayuk over, rug season long i think i would prefer justin jefferson and higgins i ended up with higgins i didn't put big bids on higgins uh justin jefferson i didn't even have the chance to get because he was already taken in all my leagues so that's just a shame there however i didn't put uh higgins was open in almost all except for one and higgins i put in like i don't know ten dollar bids out of like 150 and i ended up getting him in like three different leagues Uh, and i was pretty surprised about that so a lot of people did not bet or bid a lot on higgins and fab uh, to answer your question, though, I probably would rank them Jefferson first. Ooh, man, maybe Judy, probably Judy second. Uh, I like Judy's role. Cortland Sutton's out. I know they've got the quarterback issues. I'm going to go Judy second. We'll talk about him in a second. And uh, also, I'd probably rank, man, I'd probably rank Higgins third. And then I'd probably, Higgins and Judy are really close to me, honestly, in terms of season long value. And then I'd probably have a gap after that. And then I'd go Ayuk and uh, Henry Ruggs there. Um, but, you know, other waiver wire options here, Rex Burkhead, I didn't put any bids on him because, Jane, I mean, James White, Damien Harris coming back, I think that's kind of a trap. I think he'll still be used. He's earned it. But I don't know. I didn't really put much on him. And the other running back, of course, was – who am I missing here? Carlos Hyde uh, was another player. Uh, and I did bid a little on Carlos Hyde. He was open in about half my leagues. And – uh, to me, it's more of a one- or two-week play. I think Carson's going to miss this week. I think there's no reason for Seattle to rush him back. They're 3-0. and They're playing Miami this week. I think he's considered questionable for this game, but to me, that is, that's very doubtful that I think he's going to play in this game. So, th- yeah, Carlos Hyde, a one-week spot, maybe two weeks. He does get Miami and Minnesota in the next two weeks before the bye. So if the Seahawks wanted to wait until the bye week and make sure Carson's really healthy in the next three weeks – I could see that happening, and Carlos Hyde would be valuable, but not like a long-term play there. 
So waiver just processed in my league. Justin oh, Jefferson, number one overall. So our league agrees with you. We had four claims for him. He went to the person with the number one bid. Since we're not doing fab, we're in the age-old waiver priority. We had Miles Gaskin, no number two, which he oh, may okay. not be in every league. But yeah, he's, he's not available in mine. Yeah. So we had those two, and then Higgins, um, and then Carlos Hyde. So kind of matching up with what we're saying. Okay. So, yeah, live update there. That's nice. And was Rex Burkhead already taken in your league or no? Still available. No, we're just a 10-teamer, so people probably right. are not. I'm, for instance, I'm holding Damian Harris. So I don't okay. know. I, I think folks just want to see how that plays out. No one wants to, to trust the Patriots' backfield. Yeah, I think that uh, it's interesting because in, in my leagues, Justin Jefferson was started in two of them last week, and I was just amazed by it. Luckily, it wasn't going against me. And Rex Burkhead was also started in two out of my seven leagues as well. And I just was amazed by it. And I ended up – I shot a text to two of the managers who did that. And I was like, wow, like – amazing play you know like i went over an hour and a half preview pod and i mentioned like like i mentioned their names but like not as a start and i was like good job and they both to me were just like hey man look at my bench i had no other options so they just kind of lucked into just this amazing play i know the guy who started burkhead in one of the leagues had uh saquon barkley and raheem mostert as his two starters and then he ended up plugging in uh, daryl henderson and rex burkhead and I was like, wow, like you ended up, uh, you know, addition by subtraction there. So uh, pretty nice. Uh, let's talk about, you mentioned Jerry Judy. Let's, let's briefly hit on the Thursday night football game. It's the epic showdown between the New York Jets and the Denver Broncos. Great job by these schedule makers to give us this game. Good work there. Uh, I mean, it's a combination. Uh, I mean, honestly, if you could pit any combination of two teams in the entire league, Wade, to make up the worst game possible. possible. I mean, honestly, I think it might be – I was thinking about this before today's show. It might be the Jets and Broncos. What, what team would you put in there to make this worse? Look, I thought about the Jaguars and Dolphins with last week's matchup, but, heck, those two teams are kind of fun to watch, especially with what they're doing on offense. So, yeah, we had James uh, Robinson and we had Miles Gaskin and there's, there's – well, DJ Tark didn't play. But, yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of fantasy options in that game. But this game's going to be ball. worse. They're more interesting than these two teams. I'd say that for sure. Yeah, at least they had the facial hair battle going. Here we're going to have Brett Rippon, who's the named the Broncos starting quarterback for this game, undrafted free agent out of Boise State. I, other than the 10 or so, or I think he played more than 10 snaps, his 10 attempts last week, I had never seen the kid play, even at Boise State. So don't know much about him, don't really care much about him. But, uh, I mean, uh, it just sucks to say on a fantasy show here, but this is like the worst case for the Broncos. Before we start breaking down this game, I want to let the listeners know why this game's so bad. Because you may be thinking to yourself right now, hey, you know, I know the Jets. Like, that's obvious. You know, Adam Gase, they have so many injuries, blah, blah, blah. But let me talk about the Broncos' injuries real quick. uh, Because a lot of people may not realize that other than the 49ers, and now I actually think they're making a case with the 49ers to be the most injury-decimated team. They've lost their starting quarterback, Drew Locke, for two to four weeks. They've lost starting uh, their best player on offense, Cortland Sutton, for the season. And then they've lost Philip Lindsay, turf toe, out for – he may suit up this week, but he was out for two games. And then on defense, Von Miller, their best player on their entire team, one of the best players in the league, he's out for the year. A.J. Boye, starting corner, their best corner by far. He's out for this game and I think, two more weeks. Jarrell Casey, your boy for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they stole him in a trade. Uh, their best defensive tackle, he is out for, I think, the season. He tore his biceps. So that's three of their best four defenders are out for the uh, – two of them are out for the year. Three of them are out for this game. 
The starting defensive tackle, Draymond Jones, out for this game. Starting linebacker, Mark Barron, out for this game, both on short-term IR. And then starting right tackle, and actually he's not even starting right tackle because their normal starting right tackle, J1 James, opted out for the season. So then they go to their backup, Elijah Wilkinson, and he got some playing time last year. He's not terrible. Uh, but then he just broke his leg. So now they're to their third-string offensive tackle. And look, we know the Jets. Um, Jameson Crowder's been hurt. We know – uh, Denzel Mims, Le'Veon Bell, just so many C.J. Mosey opted out. They have so many injuries as well. Gosh, it's, and the Jets were also missing two offensive line starters last week to make things even worse. I don't want to bore you with all these. I mean, we could go on and on about this injury report. But, Wade, do you see any uh, people that you would be – players that you would be comfortable starting in this game? I would for sure start Jameson Crowder, um, especially okay. if he's cleared to go. I think he's a little iffy, but – I think he might get cleared for that. Are you this, nervous about him coming off the hamstring injury, starting him? Oh, sorry. If, if he is healthy, I am for sure starting him. If I have better options on my bench, of course I'm going to go there. But I think Jameson Crowder is very startable in this role if they put him on the field, just because I think this will be a game that the Jets can be competitive. I think it's a game where they're going to try to maintain ball control, and instead of giving it to LaMichael uh, Perrine and, and Frank Gore, which I'm we'll sure we'll see a lot of, Jameson is, you know, has the established chemistry with Darnold. So I, I like how it sets up for him. He's the only player on the field who I think I like how it sets up for them. Uh, to me, it's really the battle of Darnold versus Melvin Gordon. I think those are what each offense is going to rely on. I don't know who's going to have the upper hand on it. Vegas has no idea who's going to have the upper hand on it. The spread is one point, right, for pretty much even money on both sides of the ball. So Crowder, I do think, is the only one who deserves a shout-out for – this could be a spot that he becomes a very playable, very startable receiver in this matchup. Yeah, and I don't like playing players who are coming out of their first game back from an injury. Um, but we did see uh, – this is a hamstring issue. We did see Jamison Crowder excel in week one against the Bills. He had a great game. And then I, I also said that last week about Kenny Galladay – I was like, I'm a little hesitant to play him. And he had a good game as well coming off the hamstring injury. So maybe Crowder will be okay, but there's always that risk that they pull up limp and their hamstring's not yet 100%. There's always that risk there. So on the other side, right, I think it's Gordon for sure. You're probably starting him if you have him. And no fan, you know, has become an every week tight end starter. I just mentioned he's in the top five on the season. I think there's a narrative you could buy into that says when this backup quarterback comes into the game, tight ends are... I would bet on him getting targets. I don't know if I'd feel great about starting him in any sense, but if you need him, he could be a streamer, correct? I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, no, I think Noah Fan is actually a top 12 tight end, like every week, tight end one. Like you're starting him every week unless the scenario is just horrible. And now this might be, but for all, I think the fact that he's playing the Jets defense just kind of cancels out or mitigates the damage from the, the backup, the third string quarterback here. If I have Noah Fant and he's my best tight end option, I've been playing him normally, I'm actually just going to keep him in the lineup. Gordon is probably the best play this week. You said it. So I think he, Gordon, he actually played really well against Pittsburgh two weeks ago. He struggled against the Bucs. That's just two brutal matchups in a row for Melvin Gordon. And I think he's going to be fed in this game because why would they want to have the ball in Brett Rippon's hands? And, and Jerry Judy, I think he's more of a – I see him as more of a flex and a wide receiver three at best. But interesting, I was looking up Jerry Judy's numbers in preparation for this episode today, and I realized that Jerry Judy has got to be the most consistent player in all of fantasy football right now. Let, let, just, just wait, wait. I know you're looking at me crazy right now, but look at this consistency. I'm not saying consistently great. I'm just saying consistent. 
in every game so far this season, in all three games, he's had between seven and eight targets. So either seven or eight targets, all three games, between four and five catches, all three games, and between 55 and 62 receiving yards. I mean, the targets were within one all three games. The, the catches are within one all three games. And then the yardage between all three games is within seven. And he scored in zero of them. So basically, the guy puts up 11 to 12 PPR points every single week. Uh, He's and tied for I, third know, in the league right now and dropped passes as well. Yeah. Uh, get it's, open. It's probably won a game knowing uh, this consistency. Yeah. I mean – yeah, that's a good point for sure. I think Judy is more of a hold. I think he's one of these guys where you're waiting for Drew Locke to come back and knowing that Cortland Sutton is out. KJ Hamler, trending upward, not probably not a start. I'm holding him in three leagues. Uh, some of the deeper leagues that I have him in, I have a 14-team where I'm holding him. Uh, I'm kind of I'm rooting for him in this game. Like, I'm hoping for a breakout game, uh, but he's probably not going to really be useful until Drew Locke comes back. And then we, I think you mentioned Frank Gore and Kalen LeBlage. That's the only thing we even discussed yet. Um, or you mentioned LeMichael Pirine. Kalen Belage is also now in that uh, mix there. So a three-way running back by committee for the Jets. It's just a total disaster. Did you see that play where Belage tried to hop the guy last yeah. Sunday? Yeah, awesome. he, he got some yards out of it. So I didn't hate it. Uh, it the, the hurdling kind of reminds me of a – of a block shot. This is kind of a tangent here, but it reminds me of a block shot in basketball when, um, you know, cause I watch my fair share of NBA when it's on, I guess I actually do play fancy basketball, but when somebody has this monstrous block, okay. But it's clearly when you have a monstrous block by definition, like you probably could have grabbed the ball, like without blocking it. And I know like it's a motivational thing. And I know you, you send it to the stands. It's great. But just, I guess the, the efficiency side of me, the analytics side is like, you know, if you can put your whole palm on the ball to where you can send it to the stands, why aren't you just like literally reaching up and grabbing it and just actually getting to keep the ball? Because you're just giving it back to the other team. You know, it doesn't really do anything. I love the idea of you like being an analytics mind trying to explain to Zion Williamson that he shouldn't be volleyballing basketballs into the upper deck. He should instead take them and take the turnover. I just think yeah. that it would take a little bit for Zion to buy into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it would. And look, I get that there's a place for it. But some of these times I see like these players just get so pumped up for it. And then it's like, okay, on well, the next possession, which is right after they just get the ball back and the other team scores. And it's like, okay, well, that play did nothing, you know? So, but anyway, it, the hurdling reminds me of that. That's the whole point of this is that players hurdle and only the only thing that people can uh, really focus on is whether they complete the jump, right? Like whether they land it and it actually works or whether or not. But I will say this about hurdling, and this is the, you know, it's dangerous, whatever, but this is the part that a lot of people, I think, don't take into account. Hurdling, even when you're kind of stuffed and you like, you get hit in the nuts or there's a lot of things that could go wrong, right? You usually end up gaining one or two yards that you likely may not have had. Like usually hurdling is a plus EV play, honestly. It's, a, it's, it's actually good even if it fails because you're in the air and it takes a while for the defender to bring you down. And you usually, the momentum's carrying you two or three yards forward, even if it's a bad hurdle. You so I, forward, no I actually like it. I support it. Huh? Yeah. I don't support Kalen Balaj though in this game <laughs> at all. But anyway, let's move on to the main event here. And that is Wade Longmire's I'm going to call it Wade Longmire's long shots of the week just because your last name's Longmire. But I don't want to discredit you here because you are six and three for the season. Uh, you've mentioned for your bets so far. And you pick three a week. 
And six and three against Vegas, it's small sample size, but very good. Like very good. Even being one game up against Vegas is very good. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. And they're the smartest people in the world. So uh, why don't you talk to me real quickly about your picks last week, uh, just to get a little background going on. And, and so people can understand uh, your logic behind this, and then we'll get your picks this week. Yeah, I was on the Steelers and the Chiefs last week. So both of them covered their spreads. Chiefs got points, right, plus three. And then I had a Travis Kelsey prop bet uh, for over 69.5 yards, which, you know, at halftime he had 64, just knowing how it kind of sets up against the Ravens defense. So I do a little mix of prop bets. I do game okay. lines. And then I, I do do some total points uh, when they speak out. And for the record right now, for listeners too, if you're not aware, the over is hitting on over 60% of NFL matchups right now. Call it the COVID season. Call it the lack of home fans. Call it whatever you want. But offenses are roaring. So Vegas is starting to adjust. We're seeing a higher, you know, over-under kind of median this week than we've seen in weeks one through three. But people are scoring points. So it's kind of fun to see and fun to be in the betting arena. It is crazy, honestly. Like the points that are being scored, a lot of people thought, a lot of experts thought that it was going, the defense was going to be ahead of the offense. But, but I remember, I mean, there, there was some articles about how in the 2012 lockout, uh, that was when the players missed most of the off seasons where, you know, rookies and new players couldn't have time to learn stuff for their new teams. And that's what we saw this year. Scoring was up that year too. So it's almost like more preparation has actually hurt all right, so let's get to your bets for this week. Favorite three bets this week. Right. Uh, the NFL will do that to you, Nick, and that's why I think it's appropriate to call these long shots. But we may quickly call them Longmire's locks, right, because here are your locks of the week. If your guys I like are that better. Number one, I love the Bills to continue Josh Allen's MVP campaign. They have a spread of minus three when they head to Vegas. If you saw the, co the coverage in the Raiders-Patriots game, Belichick is a genius. He was double-teaming the checkdowns, and Carr had nowhere to go because that's who he looks for for almost his first and second reads. He took Darren Waller completely out of the game. They didn't have rugs or a field stretcher that could properly open up the defense. They don't have rugs this week. Uh, I think the Bills have a solid defense. And, again, Josh Allen is putting together an MVP season. Bills minus three, first lock. Reaction to that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Henry Ruggs, one of those players where he has a much more of an, a real-life impact than he does in fantasy football. So when you say Henry Ruggs is out, you described it perfectly. That means that everything is going to be more concentrated to Darren Waller and everything's, the safeties can move up and play against the run, play against Josh Jacobs more. Uh, the Bills do have to travel cross-country for this game. And my hesitancy, my counter, my devil's advocate here is that the Bills – Although this is a very attractive line, I'm not going to lie. The only three points, I agree with you here. I would, I, I would bet the Bills here too as well. The devil's advocate is that the Bills are coming off an emotional win against the Rams. And sometimes teams have a tendency to kind of let down after that. Um, but, but yeah, the Raiders, a lot of injuries. Uh, Damon Arnett, their starting corner, also just got hurt or re-aggravated his injury as well. And, yeah, just, I, I just don't know if Josh Jacobs alone, uh, along with Darren Waller, is going to be able to get it done. And you're right. The Patriots laid off the blueprint. I really like your logic there. And I do agree. You're one for one, at least having my agreements, although I don't know how great that is. Uh, in my bets so far, I've went 10 and 6 weeks 1 and 2, and then last week I went 7 and 9. So, but, but yeah, what is your second bet? I'm sure you'll hate this one, and many of your listeners will, because what I love doing, too, is taking – dogs who can score points 
right? So if you're ever giving me a touchdown on a team that can score, I'm all over it. Now, here's – I mentioned I was 6-3 and three on the season. I should be 7-2, and two, Nick, because I took Panthers plus 7.5 against the Buccaneers in week two. And if you remember that game, Christian McCaffrey was a hero, went into the end zone to make it a three-point game or whatever it was with a minute and 20 left. Oh, uh, Leonard Fournette, the onside kick. The Fournette. Yeah. That Fournette play is bogus. They're killing the clock, and they let the guy get loose for a 60-yard touchdown. That line misses. It so. is the Panthers' run defense. That is – that's part of it. I'm not going to say, you know, that stuff like that happens, though. I mean, I, it was probably a good call by you. you they came back. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a bad beat there. So, we're keeping it in the NFC South. We're taking the Falcons, right? Falcons plus 7.5 when they play Green Bay on Sunday night football. I think the reason is simply what I just said. These teams can score points, right? The Falcons lost to the Cowboys by one point. They lost to the Bears somehow by four. The only game they wouldn't have covered this spread is when they played the Seahawks week one. They lost by 13. I'm putting the Seahawks on a pedestal, right, for a lot of reasons in the way they're playing football right now. The Falcons have to be desperate as all get out. The Packers have given up, what, 23-plus points in each three of the weeks they've come. I think they're going to give up more, especially if we get a healthy Julio. Give me the Falcons to make it close with Matty Ice uh, garbage time uh, is basically the line here. Thoughts? I think a lot of – I think the public will be on the Packers in this game. Right. I think that the Packers are the hottest team in the league. And to me, I was a little surprised with this line. I thought it was going to be Packers minus eight or nine, honestly. And then maybe I was going to bet the Falcons. But you're persuading me here, honestly. I think that my gut was to take the Packers here. I think that is a lot of people's guts. But seven points, it's a full touchdown. You could make the argument that the Falcons are going to make sure that they're not embarrassed again after two straight uh, horrible failures of, of blown leads here. But then you could also easily counter that argument with maybe the Falcons just aren't a very good team. You could. And, I mean, they're 0-3. I could see they have had a pretty tough schedule so far. Yeah, I actually think that line's right about right. I don't know if I would bet it uh, for or against uh, the Falcons. What I just love about it is that bet will never feel like it's dead. It just won't. Every time Matt – I don't care if they're down 19 in the fourth quarter. Every time Matt Ryan comes out and he starts launching it to Ridley or whoever else, you're going to feel like there's momentum there. That'll be a fun one to follow at the end. I just said on my last episode, and I don't know if you heard, but I thought it was so – I was talking about the Falcons blowing their leads, obviously. You know, I'm a Saints fan. But I, I, I thought it was so odd that Matt Ryan, you know, he got his nickname Matty Ice for being so clutch when he was actually the one coming fat, back from behind. Like Matt Ryan is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when trailing. And yep. so, but it's almost like he's playing himself every week. And, but like you put Matt Ryan in a leading situation, and it's like, he just doesn't know he like, he can't complete a pass. So I, I, I don't know, pretty crazy situation there, but I'm agreeing with you that if the Packers do get up early, Matt Ryan's honestly one of the quarterbacks I want there to try to get like a backdoor cover situation going. Yeah, it's a backdoor bet. And then the last one I got for you is a point total. And then this one, this is probably my least favorite. I'm taking the second lowest or the third lowest over on the week. Um, it's the Rams and the Giants game. Now, I know what you're going to say. Giants are traveling cross country, right? Uh, they've come off just an absolute beatdown against the 49ers where they only scored six points. The Rams, I think this is a bet that says the Rams are going to score, I think, four touchdowns uh, and perhaps some field goals, perhaps another touchdown to go with it. If the Giants can give me 14 to 17, I think this hits in, hits in easy fashion. I love Daniel Jones, right? He's been in some tough matchups to begin the year, similar to the Falcons. They're going to come out slinging and they're going to sling all game. And so they're giving Devonta Freeman carries. 
uh, and I think they'll be behind early. So I like the total points here. I think this is a slaughter in terms of Rams over Giants, but I like the Giants to score a few points, make the overhit, keep the streak alive in the NFL COVID. All right. Yeah, that's not, I don't I don't disagree with anything there. Uh, that that sounds good. I'll give I'll give my bet of the week and I'm only doing it because it does affect a lot of the listeners here. I have bet against the Saints the last <laughs> two weeks and I thought that the Raiders game was going to be a trap game because it was their Super Bowl basically, new stadium, the Saints I uh, had just come off that emotional win against the division rival, Tom Brady. They've been preparing for it. And it was sandwiched in between that Packers game as well. And I just thought the Saints were, like, you know, going to let people down. So I took the Raiders in that game. And then I also took the Packers in last week's game. But that's only because – that's not – it's not that I was hating on the Saints too much. It was mainly because I thought that game should have been a pick em. Like, I didn't know who I thought was going to win. But the Saints were favored by three. And I thought that was a lot of respect from Vegas – but do not worry, Houdat Nation. I am taking the Saints this week to Hey-o. cover. It's my favorite bet of the week. Minus four is the number. All right, so they have to win by at least four points. And this is over the Lions. And this is at Detroit. I, mean, I don't really care about that. And my logic is less about the Saints, you know, being embarrassed in the last two weeks and really just coming out strong. I know Cam Jordan has been, you know, all over Twitter saying, you know, this, we're, we're just going to crush it this week. Like, you know, backs against the wall. Like now they're treating it like the underdog situation going on. I like it from that perspective that I think the Saints are just a well-coached team and they're a veteran team that's just going to not be okay with this one and two start. But I mainly like it from the Lions end. And this is a Lions team that, first of all, is just not very good. But second of all, they just don't have any defense. Second of all, they have injuries as well in defense. They're missing their number two and three corners. But third, the Lions are coming off a last-second field goal against the Cardinals on the road. And when you're a bad team and you get that emotional win like that, you have a tendency to kind of rest on your laurels. I think Detroit could come out pretty flat in this game. And I think the Saints are going to win by – at least I'll say at least a touchdown. I don't think it's going to be like a total blowout because honestly, I just don't think the saints are as great as everybody else does. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to just fix all of their defensive issues in one week, but I do think the saints are going to win by seven to 10 points and get a a pretty easy road win and a crucial one. What what are your thoughts on that one? If if there ever was a game where Kamara is just going to set the world on fire and he has already right in weeks one through three, like Detroit, before they played Kenyon Drake, they were giving up, what, 6.4 yards per carry to opposing running backs? Yeah, Aaron I don't know Jones, gonna... yeah, like 40 fantasy points in week two against the Lions. I don't know how they're going to stop AK-41. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I agree with you, it's about the Saints defense, right? Stafford can put together inspired performances in the Motor City. He has Galladay back. Hawkinson's a unique weapon. For some reason, they're giving Adrian Peterson the majority of the carries. Uh, over <laughs> backs that they've invested a top three round draft pick. I didn't uh, take into account the revenge game for Adrian Peterson though. Oh, yeah, <laughs> change everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm actually uh, to be clear for the audience here, I am making this bet whether Michael Thomas plays or not. I'm mm-hmm. even making it if he doesn't play. I think maybe they won't put him by you know seven or at least a touchdown, like I said. But I think by at least four. So I'm taking that bet there, uh, Wade. It has been awesome. Great conversation here, as always. And I appreciate you coming on the show. And I think the audience really enjoyed your bets and your takes today. Thanks, brother. Uh, Always a pleasure having on. Good luck to everybody. If you fade me or if you stick with me, 
uh, let's catch up in future weeks to see how we did. Oh, yeah, definitely. We might have to make this betting uh, segment an every week thing. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button. Give a positive rating or review. I would really appreciate that. Thank you so much to my guest, Wade Longmire, for Wade's Locks of the Week. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.